It is unquestionably one of the most precise and intriguing prophetic passages in the whole Old Testament. And the Old Testament's got a lot of prophetic passages. It's Psalm 22, and it leans into the crucifixion of Jesus. We'll talk about it today on Beyond the Notes. Well, we got there on the Lord's day, there being the crucifixion of Jesus, the, the climactic event in all of the gospel narratives, the place where the, the good news for man was paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been in the gospel of John for oh, approaching a year and a half on Sunday mornings. And it was a joy to finally come to this passage in the heart of John 19 that deals with the, the crucifixion itself. And I say it's a joy to deal with the crucifixion. Please understand, not, I don't say that because the event itself would appear to be a joyful one to anyone who saw it. But for those of us who are going to heaven and not hell forever, we can look at the cross and, and see it as the basis of our joy, if we define joy right, the the sense that everything that matters forever has been taken care of forever. And that is specifically because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The uh, most intriguing Old Testament background passage on the cross, when you use a phrase like most intriguing, I have to disclaim that a bit. That's in, in my view, which is the, <laughs> the only view I've got, is Psalm 22. Um, some, some background. It is a psalm of David. It, it, like the rest of the psalms, predates our New Testament by about a thousand years. That's give or take. It's a very safe statement to say that psalms come from, from B.C. 1000 during the, the, the latter part of the reign of King David. This one, Psalm 22, uh, is ascribed to David. It has, a, it has an interesting uh, postscript, I mean pre, prescript or prelude in, in, the, in the above verse 1 stuff. Uh, the title is given, Why Have You Forsaken Me?, which comes from verse 1, and it's addressed to the choir master according to the doe of the dawn. And there's been a lot of fun speculation what that means. It's probably a hymn tune. It probably, when David wrote this, he said, look, when we sing this, let's use the, the, the song we all know, the, the doe of the dawn, as the musical basis for singing these psalms. Remember, psalms are songs. What we have in the psalms is a hymn book from the reign of King David. And so, Psalm 22. Now, one of the things we can know coming right out of the gate is that this is absolutely a prophetic psalm speaking to the crucifixion. We don't have to wonder, are we, are we seeing something that's not there? We don't have to wonder, are these references meant to lean into the crucifixion? And the reason we can be absolutely certain in this case is Psalm 22.1, the opening of the psalm is, quote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if those words sound familiar, they're familiar. They are one of the statements Jesus made from the cross, uh, as recorded in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, he was not questioning the Father's 
purpose. Remember, when one reads Scripture, one has to let Scripture interpret Scripture. He's not uh, asking the Father to explain to me again why we're doing this. His entire earthly ministry has pointed toward the cross. His entire plan made from before the foundation of the universe was the, the Father's sacrifice of the Son on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That's happening on the cross. No, Jesus is crying that out from the cross is him saying, look at Psalm 22 and see what's happening here. See the, the, the depth of it. See the intentionality of it. See the, the purpose. Let this be a, a proof that what's going on here is not haphazard. What's going on here is not one more political crucifixion. What's going on here is the fulfillment of an ancient, ancient plan uh, that was already in place, again, from before the foundation of the world, but, but clearly documented, in effect, a thousand years ago. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 22. It's pretty lengthy, but I want to point out some things. Uh, the, um, a couple of the specifics in 22 verses 6, 7, and 8. And by the way, David is no doubt at his moment when the psalm is being written, David is writing about a time in his life where he feels very oppressed. And he's using in real time some language that's probably poetic to him, but is also fulfilling some things going forward. Matthew 20, I mean, Psalm 22, verses 6, 7, and 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That is, the whole crowd is gathered around me, mocking me and making fun of me and saying things like, you, uh, you believe so much in, in God, let God rescue you. That is uh, eerily fulfilled in Matthew 27, verses 39 through 44, and Luke 23, verse 25. That, that same sort of derision by the crowd, those same sort of mocking statements. Now, the, the deriding, mocking crowd simply, I mean, certainly did not set out to fulfill Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. Uh, some pretty absurd uh, so-called scholars have tried to say that Jesus forced the circumstances of his death to comply to Psalm 22, which is bizarro world that anybody would say, oh, let me set up a horrible, painful, horrific death just so I can get credit for fulfilling prophecy. Not only would that be a particularly pointed and bizarre form of suicide in this case, but it would also uh, necessitate a level of manipulative skill that's just spectacularly not possible. In this case, Jesus cannot have manipulated the scorn of a mocking crowd. The scorn of a mocking crowd happens because a mocking crowd is feeling scornful. When you, uh, when you move forward to verse 14 and 15, uh, the psalm says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, 
and my tongue sticks to my jaws, you lay me in the dust of death. In those two verses, verses 14 and 15, you have a few sort of specifically eh, kind of medical things going on. First, you have the disjointed bones. The body being crucified, the person being crucified, would be, would be extended in a posture that would, that would certainly end up with dislocated shoulders. The, the weight displacement required of the lower body could, could knock the lower body's bones out of alignment, not as certainly as the shoulders, but certainly the shoulders, the hips, the legs would all be stretched and disjointed, and again, the, the shoulders almost certainly dislocated. The heart trauma, the, the statement of Psalm twenty-two, fourteen: my heart is like wax and is melted within my breast. The statement that when they pierced Jesus with the spear, he, him having already passed away, that, that a, a mixture like blood and water poured out of the, the abdominal wound created by the spear, seems to indicate that the, the medically speaking cause of death of Jesus of Nazareth was some sort of pericardial pressure and heart failure because the heart sac under the, the trauma of crucifixion hyperexpanded and, and, the, and the heart itself basically came apart under that kind of pressure within the, the sac around the heart. Um, so you have the disjointed joints, you have the, the failure of the heart, and then the thirst. Jesus was clearly thirsty on the cross. He cried out that he was thirsty. Uh, by the way, there are two times Jesus has offered something to drink on the cross. Early on at the start of crucifixion, he's, he's offered a mixture that included myrrh, which was an anesthetic. He declined that. He intended to endure the pain. Later, the sour wine mixture, which is a different, different drink entirely, he, he requested that when he said that he thirsted. So thirst was very much a part of crucifixion because of just, first you're hanging out in the sun in the middle of the day. Uh, second, there's a lot of blood loss going on. So there's a lot of thirst associated with it. So you have three specific medical symptoms all associated with crucifixion in verses 14 and 15. Uh, verses 16 and 17, verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Now that's pretty remarkable. Let me start with verse 18, and then I'll go back to verse 17, because verse 17, ironically, has a little bit of controversy historically around it. Verse 18 is, is a statement of, of two things that would seem at first to be contradictory. On the one hand, they divide my garments just by that. That seems to imply they just hear you take some and I'll take some. But then the very next line says they cast lots for it. Well, that seems to be a case where, well, how can, how can both of those work out to be true? And yet we see at the cross, the execution detail, as we covered in the message of the Lord's, on the Lord's Day, the execution detail uh, took the, the outer garments of Jesus down to his inner tunic and things like maybe his outer robe, his headgear, his belt, whatever other pieces that would have had. And they did simply divide them. Here, you take these, I'll take these until they worked out that that was fair. When they got to his undercloak, his so-called tunic in the, in the ESV, it was, it was a really nice garment. It had been hand woven for him from a single piece of cloth without seams. And that made it such that they didn't want to, it was, it was too uh, valuable for one person to simply say, I think I'll take that. 
but it was also too valuable to say, well, let's just cut it up in fourths and we'll all take a piece of it. That didn't make any sense either. So in that moment, a thousand years later, they decided to cast lots for it, thus fulfilling both lines of this psalm prophecy in that they did divide his garments and they also cast lots for his, for his clothes. That's, again, that's an impossible long shot in terms of prophetic fulfillment. That, that doesn't make sense in any interpretation other than prophecy. And then the right above that, verse 16, the one that's attracted some uh, controversy over the years. Some translations render verse 16, for dogs compass me, a company of evildoers encircles me as a lion after my hands and feet. Our ESV says they have pierced my hands and feet. It's fascinating because the Hebrew word for lion and the Hebrew word for pierce look exactly the same except for the length of a single downstroke. If it's a long downstroke, it's the word for lion. If it's a shorter downstroke, it's the word for pierced or vice versa. I don't remember sitting here while that happened, Uh, but they're remarkably similar words. And some translators have, have favored the lion Uh, translation, like a lion after my hands and feet. Well, that makes it a little bit less dramatic in terms of the crucifixion. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest manuscript we have of Psalm 22, by a margin of several hundred years, the unquestionably oldest manuscript we have of, of Psalm 22, it's clearly pierced. Lion somehow made it in later and some copyist got sloppy and altered the length of that stroke. And so there's a family of manuscripts from that error that render it lion, but it ain't lion, it's pierced. And so David, probably speaking poetically in his day, not literally having been pierced in his hands and feet, but in a time of oppression where he, he felt that oppressed, used poetic language. But in his poetic language, he prophesied precisely a cruci- a, an execution method that would involve piercing the hands and feet on top of disjointed bones and heart trauma and thirst. They have pierced my hands and feet. It's the crucifixion of Jesus described in actually more sort of medical detail than any of the Gospels. We know what we know about crucifixion more from Roman history than from the Gospels. But what we know about what crucifixion was and how it worked is underscored, prophesied, leaned forward into, and given to us as a millennia-old apologetic proof in the text of Psalm 22. So what's your takeaway? You can trust Jesus because he gets it right. Uh, And what he did on the cross is what he meant to do. And your response to that ought be the response of repentance and faith and really, really profound trust in the reliability of the word of God. Hey, by now, I hope that you have subscribed to this. I hope that you are liking it. I hope that you are sharing it. I hope that you are discussing it. And I hope that you're leaving us comments that there are other questions we can answer or anything you'd like for us to respond to. That's why the comment stuff is there. I'm Pastor Russell Howard, and I look forward to being with you again in the future on Beyond the Notes.
Sixteen. Sixteen! Wow! That's what happens when I get a Bible text in front of me.